Good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. My name is Ashley Matthews. I'm one of the pastors at Trinity. So good to have you with us. Today is, of course, Palm Sunday in the beginning of Holy Week, which will, I suspect, prove to be a Holy Week that will, in many respects, feel a lot different from Holy Weeks of the past. And so while we're not uh, able to gather in person to see one another face to face, our commitment is um, to continue to worship, to be the church uh, this week in spite of those limitations. And so before we jump into a time in the Bible together to hear what the Lord, um, I believe, has to say an encouragement to all of us, we're going to take just a couple of minutes to highlight some things that will be happening this week so that you all know what to expect if you're looking for ways to connect in the days to come. If you have not yet subscribed to our weekly reader, I want to just take a minute to encourage you to do that. That is the primary way in which we're able to get information um, out to all of you. It's, uh, things change rapidly uh, every day, so make sure that you're um, subscribed to that weekly reader. Also, that you're getting our midweek re- reader, which is coming out on Wednesdays. It's another touch point, a way for us to stay connected and get information to you. Also, our website and our social media is, of course, another means for us to share information. So just make sure that you're regularly checking in with those things if you're curious about what's happening. But I want to highlight two things um, happening this week, one of which is our Good Friday service. We will be uh, worshiping together on Good Friday, Um, albeit not uh, in this building. We're going um, to instead um, have a a worship service much like we had with our worship and prayer. You'll be able to stream that service via our website on Friday. Um, That service will look very similar, though in other respects, to what we would have done and have done in years past. We'll read the Bible together. We'll sing songs together. uh, We'll spend some time uh, in God's Word together. So I want to encourage you to mark space on your calendars for that on Good Friday. And um, also Holy Saturday. We're going um, to provide an opportunity for you to connect virtually. For those of you who are looking for a chance to actually maybe see some new faces in the church or old faces that you haven't seen in a while, you'll have the opportunity to do that via Zoom on Saturday morning. We're calling this our Holy Saturday morning apart because it's intended to be a space of quiet and prayerful reflection. Karen McDaniel and a number of our um, other trusted leaders here in the church will be guiding us through some Lectio um, and other uh, spiritual disciplines in order to center us, settle us into what is for Christians one of the holiest and uh, hardest days of the year. So, if you're looking for a way um, to observe Holy Weekend, those two things, Good Friday and that Holy Saturday morning apart, um, we hope will be really helpful to you. Now, we're going to um, move into our, our time in the Bible before we. Uh, move into God's word. We'll, we'll pray. If you have Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21. Start reading in verse 1 to verse 11, and then we'll pray. Matthew writes, When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, the Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them and sat on them. And very large crowds spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. 
The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Holy Spirit, Lord, we ask you, God, for the gift of your presence with us this morning. As we are, Lord, scattered all over this city, even country, maybe even the world, we ask you, Lord, in a way that only you can do, would you unite us together, Lord, in your spirit. Lay hands of peace on us, Lord. Assure us, God, that even now, and maybe even especially now, Lord, we it's important to know, to remember that we belong to the church and to you. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would give us a vision of Jesus as Matthew intended to do, that all that might separate us, Lord, um, from you and from this story as Matthew intended it to be heard, we ask you, take authority, God, over those things and bring us, Lord, very presently to you and where you are. Help us to hear what you're trying to say, God at a time when we so desperately, Lord, do, in fact, need to hear from you and to see Jesus. We love you, Lord, and in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Palm Sunday um, marks a kind of transition point, interestingly, in the, in the church calendar. Uh, we have moved out of the wilderness of Lent, but Lent is, of course, not yet over. These um, days ahead, Holy Week is an invitation to enter into uh, the darkest hours, actually, of Jesus' of Jesus's life and arguably even human history. And the same will be true for us uh, this year in particular. I, I don't um, think that that will only be true, maybe even liturgically speaking, that while there have been in these last few weeks really hard and even dark days. The reality is is that that's not letting up or lightning lifting anytime soon. Um, in fact, it's likely that these days ahead are going to be just as hard, if not harder, just as dark, if not darker. We'll every day watch the death toll continue to rise. Um, more and more people grieving, more and more people alone in their grief, unable to reach out and hug and hold people as they grieve. More and more of us now know people who are being directly impacted in those ways. If you're not grieving someone uh, you know who you've lost or um, grieving in those ways, you may be grieving in other ways. There are more students who will in these weeks ahead, for example, um, be missing their senior proms, their graduations. Um, more and more nurses and doctors who are going to feel the weight of this, all the hard work, toil, that they've um, been giving so selflessly and sacrificially. And so um, I think we all have a sense um, that this is not only has it been hard and, and it is hard, but what will it be like in these coming weeks um, if it's harder and darker? And it's exactly that feeling where we want to sort of hold our breath and push that thought away. Um, Holy Week invites us actually, 
to acknowledge that that is possible and to be willing to step with Jesus into the heart of dark places and dark things. I've been sitting with that thought myself over these last few days and I was thinking about what it would be like, for example, this year, for maybe the first year in my whole life, to not be in a church on Easter morning. Um, and how sad that will be for so many of us. Um, how badly I will miss and we will miss the sounds of your hallelujahs and being able to look you in the face and say, He is risen, He is risen indeed. Um, there will be a number of us who will be um, toasting, raising our glasses of wine, um, toasting virtually, or uh, not at all because we are alone and in isolation have been over these last number of weeks. And so um, I say those things just to acknowledge that we're going into this week with a very real sense of the heaviness and the darkness even of the world. Those things feel maybe in some ways more true and more real in front of mind than they ever have in Holy Week's past. Um, I do want to say that having been said that I think that there ought to be for the church a kind of resolve, a commitment that we are making, each of us, to in fact keep the feast. Um, I have assured my family, I hope that you assure yours, that we will in fact be feasting um, on Sunday, that um, we are the church. But even as we do, um, there'll be no denying that things are not as they should be. And so it's um, it struck me that um, in light of that fact, I, it feels as if a day like today, Palm Sunday, and a day like the day that Jesus, or that Matthew is telling us about in the life of Jesus, feels particularly fitting and, and important, maybe even timely uh, for us. That before Jesus chose to enter into the darkest hours of his life, um, Matthew wants us to know that before he did that, he rode triumphantly into Jerusalem. That before he entered into the chaos of these days ahead, where everything or seemed to be nothing was as it should be, that Jesus had this moment in Matthew 21 where he was able to catch a glimpse of heaven, where he was able to catch a glimpse of things really as they should be. And as I've been thinking um, about that and sitting with it, it made me wonder if there wasn't a great deal of purpose actually in that, and maybe even something instructive for us, that if Jesus um, wasn't willing or um, knew better than to go into the darkest hours of his life without having first oriented himself in some significant way that Certainly the same is true for us. In other words, before we enter into times of darkness, I think one of the things I'd like for us to think about as we sit with this story is um, what it would mean for us to catch a glimpse of Jesus, to catch a glimpse of what's true, things the way that they should be, so that we can take hold of that vision in a way that would orient us for the journey ahead, for the struggle, no doubt, even ahead. Um, it seems to me that in part at least um, that's how this day, this day of Palm Sunday, um, served Jesus. It was a kind of bright sadness uh, in the words of Father Alexander Schmemann um, for Jesus. There was a, a sadness in, in what happened for sure and what knowing, knowing that what 
was in front of him would be hard and would be dark. Before he enters into that, he has this moment to look around and see people crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. He sees people worshiping, smiling. And I can't help but think that Jesus held that vision with him, um, carried it with him even as he, as he went to the cross. And so I think there's something instructive in that for us. So I want to turn now and look at the story, um, but hold on to that, that I, my, what I believe is that God aims to, desires to give us a vision of what is most ultimately true, to help us see Jesus in a way that would carry us through um, the days ahead. So Matthew tells this uh, story about Jesus's entry into Jerusalem. He um, lets us know that Jesus and the disciples made the decision to leave Jericho, which was a a city about 14 miles away from the Mount of Olives. So they made this journey of 14 miles. It was a steep climb from Jericho to the Mount of Olives, uh, elevation, a spike of about 3,000 feet. So it was a it was a climb. And when they get to the Mount of Olives, they, they come to a, a rest. And I don't think it's by accident that Jesus chose this uh, spot uh, to rest and to send the disciples ahead of him into Jerusalem. Um, it was a good spot for a number of reasons. Uh, this, um, the Mount of Olives offered, um, as people who have been to Israel will tell you, it offered and offers one of the most sort of epic uh, views of Jerusalem. It's a panoramic view. You're able to see the whole city. And for that reason, uh, the Mount of Olives takes on, it has a really rich biblical and theological significance to it. A number of really important things happen or are prophesied to happen on the Mount of Olives. And so Jesus does um, what would appear to be a really intentional thing when he gets there. He commissions two of the disciples to go and find him a donkey. And um, you may be rightly wondering, particularly if you've never read the Bible before, why on earth Jesus would want to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. And uh, he was not himself one who was given to making grand entrances or pulling stunts. And so there was probably some significance to this choice. What was it? Is a good question. And Matthew answers that question. He doesn't leave you hanging. He uh, tells us in verse 4, the reason that Jesus does this, that he sends for this donkey, is um, to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet. And then he quotes this verse from Zechariah 9, uh, which was a really important passage. These la- those final chapters of Zechariah it were really familiar. It would have been to Matthew's readers um, and even to the crowds um, standing around Jesus that day. And Matthew quotes this prophecy for us. Uh, He says, tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Look, your king is coming to you uh, mounted on a donkey. And so uh, Jesus chooses to ride in on a donkey for obvious reasons. He's trying uh, to make something clear. He's um, in short revealing finally and ultimately who he actually is. And people get what he's trying to do. Um, It's not lost on the crowds who watch Jesus ride into the city, which is why they have the response that they do. Uh, Matthew tells us that people um, began to take off their cloaks and um, they put palm fronds out on the road. Um, They're worshiping. And they begin to sing from a song, um, not chosen at random, but one that would have been very fitting for the occasion in order to usher in uh, the Messiah. 
into Jerusalem, they sing uh, from Psalm 118, Hosanna to the son of David, the king of David. Uh, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna uh, in the highest. And so you have to imagine what that would have been like for Jesus. Jesus is now riding into Jerusalem, going into the hardest days of his life. Um, Yes. But as he does... He comes in to those days this way, um, as a fulfillment of God's word. And people respond, they worship, they welcome him. Um, and I can't help but imagine that for Jesus, this was a really profoundly important time, a moment for him. Um, Matthew doesn't tell us, but Luke does, that when Jesus saw the crowds as he was riding into Jerusalem, they began to weep. Um, and I, I think that's for a number of reasons. It, he was feeling no doubt a mix of emotions. But it is true that if you just sort of zoom out and imagine what that would have been like to have been there that day, to watch Jesus coming in and to hear all of those people praising him, it's, what's really true is that for just those few moments, everything really was as it um, ought to be. Here was Jesus coming into the city of David, being hailed as the king, as the Messiah, being worshipped by his people um, on the earth as our Redeemer and a Savior. Um, and I don't think that was lost on Jesus. I think he caught a glimpse ultimately then of, of what will one day most ultimately be true that we'll all get to see. Jesus, um, as he is, being worshipped for who he is in the earth, being received by his people. Um, It's a glimpse of heaven. And I wonder if that glimpse of heaven didn't ultimately serve to orient Jesus, to remind him ultimately of where it was that he was headed and what this was all about. Why? ultimately he was entering into Jerusalem and why ultimately he was going to the cross. Um, it was no doubt, um, like, as I mentioned, like a, a mix of emotions for Jesus. He, um, while it no doubt felt all the love and joy and um, maybe even gratitude to God for the worship that um he experienced for the joy that he sensed in people. He also, of course, knew that it was fleeting, that ultimately in just a few days, this very crowd would betray him and hand him over. And yet, still, it was enough of a glimpse, uh, enough to hold on to, I think, um, to ultimately push him through, to um, have in his own heart and mind a moment of clarity before he went into a time of profound confusion and chaos. Nietzsche, Frederick Nietzsche, once famously said, it's been quoted by a number of people in a number of places, he said, um, he who has a why um, can bear almost any how. And I was thinking, um, as I was thinking about this moment in Jesus' life, that, that quote came to mind, that he who has a why can bear almost any how. And it made me think about how important it is that going into these days ahead, not just of Holy Week, but even beyond, how important it is that we have a why. 
Why is it that we would choose to follow Jesus into Holy Week and Jesus into the darkness of this health crisis? Why would we go in following Jesus as opposed to going in some other way? And it's an important question to ask. And I think it was an important question even for Jesus to ask. Why would um, he go to the cross? Why would he choose to go to the cross faithfully? And I should also say that I'm not suggesting for a moment that we um, have answers or that we can or even maybe should have answers to our ultimate why questions. Why would this health crisis happen in the first place? Um, why was the cross um, necessary for Jesus or for the world? I don't, I don't think that's the question that Jesus had at the front of his mind. And I don't think it's helpful ultimately for us to have those questions at the front of our minds either. A different question um, for Jesus and for us is, why would I choose to enter into this hard thing faithfully rather than to avoid it, dodge it, or pretend that it doesn't exist? Why would I follow Jesus? Or for Jesus, why would I go faithfully? And I think it's um, for him. Jesus knew that if he went faithfully to the cross with peace and love um, in his heart, that God would be glorified. And that ultimately, if God was glorified, then people would be drawn out of darkness, out of chaos, and towards him. That ultimately, people would be redeemed as a result of Jesus' faithfulness through a hard time. I do think that he knew that. And I do think it was important for him to have the answer to that question, to that particular why. Just as I think it is for us why would I choose to enter into this health crisis or these next several days and weeks following Jesus to do it faithfully, choosing to have hope, choosing to pray, choosing to serve my neighbors, choosing to resist scarcity and fear? Why would I do that rather than do the thing that comes most naturally, which is to pretend that it's not happening, to do what comes most naturally to me, protect myself, to give in to my tendencies towards self-preservation. All those things feel like much more natural responses. So why would I do otherwise? And I wonder if the answer for us shouldn't be, couldn't be the same as it was for Jesus, because I can know because of the example that Jesus has set that if I will choose to enter into this time faithfully, with the same peace in my heart, the same love and faithfulness and forgiveness in my heart as Jesus went to the cross having in his, then God will be glorified. And as a result of God being glorified, people will be drawn out of darkness, out of the shadows of death. You know, on that, that day that Jesus rode through Jerusalem, people sang songs of praise to him. Jesus got to catch a glimpse, not only of heaven, but of humanity, really of us as we were created to be, the people that we were meant to be, people we can be, people who stood a little taller um, with the glory of God on our faces and, and in our hearts, with the love of God flowing um, through us. That's what happens when God is glorified. It draws us up and out so that we can be the people we were called to be. That's what Jesus was after. I think, I wonder, and I've often wondered, you know, when Jesus was looking at those guys who nailed him to the cross, 
I, I believe that the reason that Jesus was able to look at those men and see them not as his enemies, but as his brothers, is because he carried this steadfast vision of heaven in his heart and his mind. It was the realest and truest thing. Jesus knew where the story was ultimately headed, which is that these men were not made to be violent. They weren't made to be murderers. That they were actually created to be sons of God and that if Jesus would be faithful and God were glorified, then maybe they would have the opportunity to turn from darkness to light, to be the men they were created to be. And there's something instructive for us in that that should, I think, serve as a kind of model for the way that we're going to choose, choose to engage these weeks in front of us for the sake of our neighbors, that God would be glorified, that the people around us might be drawn out of their hopelessness, out of their fear, that Jesus has given me both the opportunity and the responsibility to model peace and faith and hope and the steadfastness of the Holy Spirit so that I could give that kind of gift, the same gift Jesus gave to the people around um, me and you. So I believe today in short that one of the things that Matthew intended and God intends is for us to catch a vision of Jesus that would serve to orient us over these next few days. Um, that we would catch not only just a vision of, of Jesus and his goodness and his kindness, but that um, you would begin to pray. That God would give you a vision of where this big story is ultimately headed. Um, we will feast in the house of Zion. We were meant to. That is the promise of God. And knowing that fact can, I believe, orient us in these days ahead where we feast in a broken world or things are not as they should be. Um, God can and is and must still be glorified so that people around us have the opportunity to be drawn out of the shadows of death and darkness and fear um, and into the light and the life that Jesus intends for them to have. May it be so, Lord. Amen.